Thank you again, Bert and Robin. Great job as always. All right, people, let's turn to Habakkuk 3.1 if you haven't turned there already. Probably already have. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. Remember, we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper after the end of this lesson. As you can see on the board with the slide, we'll be looking at in the second session, Habakkuk 3.5, continuing to talk about the second advent of Christ. And uh, in this passage teaches us that plague goes before the Lord at his second advent, as well as pestilence follows at his feet. So that is what we'll be looking at here in the second session. Then after that, again, we'll be observing the Lord's Supper, the communion elements. And so without further ado, as we usually do before the second session, we not only pray for the lesson, but we also pray for the offering. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great honor and privilege that you've given to us, the great blessing that you've given to us to give back to you that which you have given to us. We uh, take this uh, moment now to express our gratitude for all that you've done for us logistically with the logistical, logistical grace blessings, but also the blessings you've given to us, spiritual blessings, uh, which will also be involved in temporal blessings as well with the millennial reign and the new heavens and the new earth. We thank you for these blessings that you've given to us because of our union identification with your son. We thank you for the, the privilege you've given to us to express our gratitude uh, but with this offering, this love gift that we present to you. We do truly love you, Father. We love you for uh, the great, uh, your plan in eternity past and electing us and predestinating us to be conformed to the image of the Son. We thank you for the great love demonstrated through the crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session of your Son at your right hand and also through the Holy Spirit's work at our justification and raising us up and seating us with your Son at your right hand, despite the fact that we're dead in our sins and transgressions. So we'd like to express our gratitude at this time with this offering. We pray that, uh, uh, that we're presented it in a fashion that's pleasing to you with good, proper motivation. And thank you again for all that you've done for us, Father, and are doing for us now and will do for us in the future. Father, we also pray for this second session as we study Habakkuk 3.5 and we pray that the Holy Spirit would use me mightily in the audience as well, your children in the audience that you purchased with the blood of your Son. I pray the Holy Spirit would speak to each person individually and all of us as a corporate unit, help us to learn, understand, and apply what's being taught to make application to, uh, with regards to this passage and other passages we'll be noting here in the second session and also empower me to be your instrument to deliver your full counsel to your people with accuracy, clarity, reverence, and respect and power, and that as a result, all of us would continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, becoming more like him in thought, word, and action, and thus bringing glory to you, manifesting your great power and love and wisdom in our very own lives. In our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 5 is what we're looking at the second session. We'll be seeing that the plague goes before the Lord at his second advent and pestilence follows at his feet. Uh, quite a terrifying thought. So let's look at Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to, as we did in the first session, read the entire chapter and then look at verse 5 in detail. That way, we're, again, we're studying in our passage in the second session according to its proper context. So Habakkuk 3, 1 says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now we have the divine warrior psalm in verses 3 through 15. Uh, speaking of this tribulation period and the second advent of Christ and alluding to uh, great events, great manifestations of God's power in the past with the Exodus generation. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covers the heavens and his praise filled the earth. 
His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw that tents of cushion and distress and the dwellings of Midian and anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by and the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. Selah. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Now we have Habakkuk expressing his faith to end the book in light of the imminent Babylonian invasion of the southern kingdom of Judah in, seven, in the 7th century B.C., in 605 B.C. to be specific. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive oil, uh, olive uh, crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yes, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on, on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Let me give you my translation of verses 3 through 5. God will travel from Teman. Then the Holy One will travel from Mount Paran Selah. His majesty will cover the heavens so that his praise will certainly fill the earth. In fact, his splendor will be like lightning. Flashing rays of light will come from his hand on his behalf. Indeed, there it covers his strength. Plague will proceed from his presence. Correspondingly, pe pestilence will follow at his feet. Now, I brought this up, an interpretive issue with this passage in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 15. If you read your NIV, it sounds mostly historical in the past. But if you read the Net Bible, and you can see with my translation, I use this, this thing, will travel, will, uh, will certainly fill the earth. It's prophetic. The Net Bible and other scholars believe this is not only uh, alluding to things that God did in the past for Israel, but is also pointing forward eschatologically, uh, the study of future things. Prof it's prophetic. And the majority of scholars are starting to come around to that particular point of view. The Net Bible reflects it in their translation, and so do I. And I gave my reasons in detail, so I don't, I can't, I don't have time to go back to that because we don't have enough time to reiterate that. But if you want to, you can listen, go to, listen to it on the website when, it's, uh, when the lessons are put up there. So, as we noted in our study of Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Habakkuk 3, verses 3 through 20 is actually a prayer that Habakkuk offered up to the God of Israel. We also noted in our previous uh, sessions that in Habakkuk 3, that uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 15 is prophetic, referring to the events of the 70th week of Daniel and the second advent of Christ, but also people alluding at times to the mighty acts of God, which he prepared, prepared uh, or actually performed, I should say, on behalf of the nation of Israel. Now, we saw in our previous classes, Habakkuk 3, verse 3, contains four prophetic statements. 
with an interjection placed after the second. And we saw a couple of weeks, several weeks ago, and when we studied this verse, the first prophetic statement in Habakkuk 3 asserts that, the, that God will travel from Teman, and the second asserts that the Holy One, who is Jesus Christ, will travel from Mount Paran. Uh, this has never happened in history, but it will at the second advent of Christ. We know that from Isaiah 63, 1 through 3, as we went to. So both of these prophetic statements in verse 3 refer to the actions of the Lord Jesus Christ at his second advent. So these first two statements in Habakkuk 3.3 not only echo Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 3, but also, as we pointed out, Obadiah 18, a book we have studied in the past here. And that describes the Israelites destroying Edom, which they will accomplish through their Savior King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the third prophetic statement we pointed out in verse 3 asserts that the Lord Jesus Christ's majesty will cover the heavens. And so therefore, since Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 3 through 15 is prophetic, this term majesty in verse 3 speaks of the manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ's sovereign authority over both the human and angelic races as well as over all of creation at his second advent. Now, the fourth and final statement in verse 3 we pointed out asserts that praise of the Lord Jesus Christ at his second advent will certainly fill the earth. And that'll be during the second advent in millennial reign. This statement presents the result of the third in this verse. Thus, a comparison of the two statements indicates that praise from both men and angels, and will be a part of this praise, will fill the earth as a result of the Lord Jesus Christ's majesty covering the heavens at his second advent. This praise will come from both human beings and elect angels that will be accompanying the Lord at his second advent. And that's indicated by the fact that the scriptures teach that every church-age believer in a resurrection body, you and I, will take part in the second advent of Christ. Revelation 19 and 20 makes that explicit. And also, every Old Testament saint in a resurrection body will do so as well. Every regenerate, born-again human being that survived the prophetic events of the 70th week and the second advent will take part in it as well. Lastly, the elect angels will take part in the second advent of well, as well, as we can see again from Revelation 19 and 20, those two chapters. Now, this praise of our Lord at his second advent speaks of his praise as an expression of worshiping him, the Lord, in the sense of offering words of homage to him, as an act of worshiping him. This is what we should be doing on a daily basis. This is what we do here. Every word that comes out of my mouth, every word that comes out of your mouth while we're within this four walls, and every song that's ever sung in this place must always be bring glory to God. This is not a, to elevate the pastor or the musicians or the singers. It's always about lifting him up. We're about him. And any pastor or deacon or any person in a congregation who lifts themselves up to be a celebrity, and we have too many celebrities being worshipped in the, in the church today in America because we like celebrities, you know? And that's what they do with the mega churches, and they got the big, they like entertainers, and they, they're walking around in their $5,000 suits. And they're sitting there and making a, like they, they put on a show. We're not here to put on a show, Okay. You might find me entertaining at times, but that's not the point of me being up here. And the whole point of anybody being up here and any of us being in this church is to praise him. Never lose sight of that. The minute people, churches, start worshiping the pastor or putting, making him out to be a celebrity, they miss the point. And this is what Paul went after the Corinthians about. 
No, some of you say, I am a Peter. Some say, I'm a Paul. Some of them, I'm Jesus, okay? The real holy ones, all right? And I'm being facetious here. So people make too much out of pastors. I see, hear it all the time. And any pa- I, if I hear anybody try to, it's nice to be honored and re- treated with respect, okay, for what I do and my position and show appreciation. But I'm, if you notice, I'm not going to sit there and sit there and, and have to say, oh, you're such a wonderful, it's like, okay, 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 I'd run away from people like that. Those are the same people who go and, and, and trash you six months later after they got, had enough of you. After they've been convicted. Oh, you're great message. I love your message. Then one day, they're sitting in Sunday and they get convicted. You know? And like, see you later. So I know how people are. People are fickle. That's the way it is. One day they wanted to put Jesus on the throne to make him king. And the next day they crucified him. So if you're, you've got to understand something. It's about praising Jesus. This is what we're here for. This is our future. When we, when you, you know, when people... Uh, Mary, your sister went home to be with the Lord, right? You know what she's doing right now? She's she probably, maybe she met my brother Kenny. Maybe Kenny, Kenny wants to hey girl, that's did, I don't know if I met her. So they're they're sitting in heaven and they're praising Jesus. And that's sitting there, you know, with with Grandma. No, you're in the presence of the Lord. Trust me, you're on the ground. You're only going to do what John did in Revelation one. You're like, oh my God, there he is. I see him. <laughs> That's what they were. They're worshiping praise. She's in a great chorus. Of, her, she's singing with my brother Kenny, my grandmother, all of dead in Christ. They're singing praises to the Lord. And if you went there when seeing what they're seeing right now, don't feel bad for them. Okay? They're living it life large now. No more sin nature to drag around. You know, I can't wait to get, I don't know about you, but I can't wait to get rid of this. I know if you're young and beautiful now, you're all right. No, one day you're going to get old like the rest of us. And you'll be in the back down and be like, oh, what happened? My hair's gone. My everything is, I used to have a chest up here. Now it's sagging down here. You got to suck it in. Put the, it's a real work to put the pants on in the morning, try to suck it in. You know, with my beautiful hair, it's turning gray. Oh my gosh. And I'm getting fat. Oh my gosh, I gotta get to lose weight. It's a battle to lose weight. I can't stand it. I hate that. Guess what? You, you and I won't have to worry about that anymore. Mary's sister sitting in the presence with my brother Kenny, sitting in the presence of the Lord, worshiping him, praising him. So be encouraged, okay? And praise is a wonderful thing. The praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy of our praise. He became a human being. Okay? Lower than the angels. And he did, he suffered the wrath of God in our place. And he's God. He created all of us. And he took some, so much abuse from sinners. And then he had to be abandoned by his heavenly father on the cross when we were his enemies. He did that for you. And he did that for me. Oh yeah, he's worthy of our praise. So the first statement in the back of chapter 3 verse 4, as we saw in the previous lesson, asserts that Jesus... His splendor will be like lightning. And this statement is advancing upon, as we saw, and intensifying the third and fourth prophetic statements in verse 3. So the third prophetic statement asserts that Jesus' majesty will cover the heavens. And the fourth presents the result of the third and asserts that praise will certainly fill the earth. So therefore, a comparison of these statements indicates that the advancement and the intensification is with regards to the Lord manifesting his presence at his second advent. And that indicates, this is indicated that not only will the Lord's majesty cover the heavens so that his praise fills the earth, but this manifestation of his presence will be as bright as lightning 
Or in other words, it'll be as bright as lightning when it flashes across the Earth's atmosphere, as we saw in Matthew 24, 27. The first prophetic statement we saw in verse 4 in the first session echoes our Lord's description of his second advent in Matthew 24, 27, where he compared his appearance at his second advent to lightning flashing across the sky. And we also saw in the second se uh, first session, the second prophetic statement in verse 4 asserts that flashing rays of light will come from the Lord Jesus' hand on his behalf since they will result in the destruction of his enemies. The third and final statement we saw in verse 4 asserts that the Lord's hand covers his strength, his omnipotence. That, too, is advancing and intensifying upon the second prophetic statement in that it advances and intensifies the whole expression of the Lord using his hand. In other words, not only will flashing rays of light proceed from his hand on his behalf, but also his hand covers his strength, his omnipotence. His hand covers his strength in the sense that these flashing rays of light, which will issue forth against his enemies at his second advent, are a small manifestation of his infinite power and omnipotence that we are beneficiaries of now at our justification, at our resurrection, and also now with the spiritual life. The word of God is alive and powerful. And that's the power of God God wants us to use. Appropriating by faith, the word of God will appropriate the omnipotence of God in your life. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise you and I from the dead. It's going to raise Mary from the dead, my brother Kenny from the dead, everyone who's the dead in Christ now. And when we die, if we're not the rapture generation, we'll experience the power of God. But we can experience it now. We don't have to wait to our resurrection. Now, here in Habakkuk 3.5, we have two more prophetic statements which will find their fulfillment at the second advent. They also echo the actions of the Lord on behalf of the nation of Israel when delivering them from the bondage of slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt. So the first prophetic statement, plague will proceed from his presence. That is, corresponds actually uh, with the second one. So we see that the first prophetic statement asserts that plague will proceed from the presence of the Lord at his second advent, while the second in this verse corresponds to the first and asserts that pestilence will follow at the Lord's feet. Now you may be thinking, like a lot of people in America, and even around the world, especially in America, this, Jesus, I love Je the, love God, the love of God. I love Jesus, the, the Lamb of God. I love him. I don't like this Jesus who's going to destroy his enemies. I do not like that. Americans don't like that. I want, a G I, want an anti I want an antiseptic Jesus. I want a Jesus made in my image. Sorry. You got to adjust to him in the revelation that he's given to us in his word by the spirit. This is the lamb of God. He's the lion of Judah. He suffered the wrath of God in our place so that we wouldn't have to suffer the wrath of God in the lake of fire forever, right? He lived the life of perfect obedience that we couldn't live. God requires it, but we couldn't keep that. We're not perfect, but he was. He did that expressing the love of God when we were his enemies. Okay? And then through the spirit of our justification, our conversion, he raised us up and seated us with his son at his right hand. We're the bride of Christ. We're going to reign with Christ. Okay? But he's also the line of Judah. If you do not repent and trust in Jesus as your Savior... He is coming to judge you. Do you want him to be your judge? Or do you want him to be your savior? I think it's an easy, easy thing to decide. 
course, I'm saying on the, I'm sitting here with the Holy Spirit, and after 40 years of my whole adult life walking with the Lord, but when I was 19, 18, 19, 67, 18, 19, no, I was just like everybody else in the world, rebelling at it. I remember the first time I went to see a band at some, at some bar. To, it was a Christian band. I was like, ah, oh, for crying out loud, a Christian band, you know, and I was big into, you know, Zeppelin and all those guys. Oh, for crying out loud, these Christians. And I remember saying, I'll never forget that the first band I ever saw live, they were a Christian band. I think God was trying to tell me something. Guess what? <laughs> I'm after you, Bill. I'm chasing you down. And guess, you might think you can run away from Jesus. You can run away, but you can't hide. I tried to. <laughs> Paul tried to, but he knocked him off his high horse like he knocked me off my high horse. And many of you, you know, some people, they're saved when they're seven, you know. I'm not one of those guys. I had a little bit of a rebellious streak in my years, okay? Ran around. We'll just say that, Okay. I was a bad boy. Not as bad as some of you, though, okay? But I was bad, all right? I was just like, you know, it's funny. So we, we, that's happened, okay? But, you know, he showed his love for me when I trusted him. I bowed my will to his. You know, God will put you, when you pray for an unbeliever, somebody's not a believer, and watch out, okay? Because I've had it happen in my family. All kinds of crazy things are going to happen because we need to be humbled so we, us sinners need to be humbled so we see our need for Jesus. Okay? So you can trust if your loved one or your friend is not a believer or your, your child, don't worry. The Lord will come back and he's chasing them down. And if they're a believer in apostasy, don't worry. He indwells, the Spirit indwells them and they're going to, he's going to, he's convicting them right now. Don't you worry. The Lord's got his eyes on your child that's run away. Don't you worry. And if the person is not a believer, your child, or whoever he is, don't worry. He's going to make everything, do everything he can to show them their need for Jesus, just like he did for all of us. So he's either going to be your savior or you're going to be a judge. So here, he comes back and he's coming to judge his enemies. They refuse to bow to him and trust in him. They're like their father, the devil. Who says, no, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. The five I wills of Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. I'm going to do it, like Frank said, my way. <clears throat> Ain't going to fly in the Christian. It's not going to fly in God's kingdom. You do it his way. He ran the house. He created the house. You are sl you're sleeping in his world. You're drinking his water, breathing his air. He gave you life when you were, what were you? Thank God that you and I were created chipmunks or a squirrel. You were created a human being, created the image of God. I mean, you could have been a chipmunk or a squirrel, those nasty little son of a guns. By the way, my whole neighborhood is pretty quiet. When I walk around town, the squirrels got me. They look at me, they gave me the dirt, because I've exterminated the squirrels in my area. They're dead. I'm the Clint Eastwood of my block. The squirrels look at me as Clint Eastwood of the block. And they, that was a, I kid you not, there was a, I'm taking a walk, I take a walk down to, uh, down Holmes, because I love the houses down there, and I'm walking around town, ground sip, come back down, two mile walk, go back to work, right? I'm walking by, and there's a squirrel, you know how they make that noise? He's, he, I can hear it, he's like, I was like, hey, you keep talking, I'm going to take you out too. I'll bring some rat poisoning over to you, and I'll kill you. How did we get on that? Oh, I'm, on, I'm in that mode where Jesus comes back to destroy his enemies, okay? So, he will humble you and show you your need for Jesus. He did it to me. 
and he'll do it to you if you're stubborn, okay? We're all stubborn. I'm no different. I'm no better than you. And so when your family members or whatever friends you want get saved, just pray that God will bring in and be prepared because you're going to have trouble. Whatever circumstances, people, blessing, adversity, prosperity necessary to show them their need for the Savior. Some people get saved by having a birth of a child. Like a guy who was in my band years ago. His name was Paul. He's a Christian now. His wife, call, I hadn't seen him in 25 years, been praying for him like 25 years. His wife calls me out of the blue. I think I told you this. Yeah. And says, Bill Winston, right? Yeah. I said, so yeah. You know Paul Pantiago? Yeah. He goes, hey, I married him. I said, oh yeah, okay. And she goes, he's a, he, you know, he's a believer. Would you like to talk to him? I said, really? So she was a Christian. She let him, she let him to the Lord. He had a baby with her and he became a Christian because of the baby. He told me that. This guy's like hell's angels, motors. I mean, he was doing some bad drugs and running around bad women, and he had a huge construction business, and he was like, just then his birth of his child said, what am I doing? And he remembered all those times that all these friends of his were talking to him, and he got saved. I think he's part of a Christian band there, too, across the room. But he, I talked to him a couple times. I mean, so you never give up on anybody, okay? Even the great, you know what? Some people see, well, the most, you know, they look at the moral people you know, of the world, oh, they'd be a great Christian. You know what, you know what the best Christians are? <laughs> the ones that not, we're, we're, we're probably the most immoral and crazy of all of them. They're the baddest dudes, and they become the best Christians. Because you know why? Because they know they've been forgiven much. The self-righteous unbeliever says, ah, I've earned it. No, none of us earned it. The people who had, were pretty wild and crazy and, you know, sold a few wild oats in their day. Well, guess what? They make the best Christians because they know that they're wicked. It's easy. It's self-evident. I have friends that they were wicked. I mean, the things that they would do, I would, I, I blush. Back then, I would blush before I became a Christian. But, you know, those people sometimes often make the best believers. Now, these two prophetic statements correspond to each other in Habakkuk 3.5. Why? Because of the words there. The nouns davir and also rachef. You have to roll the tongue for this. And, and that's pestilence is the way it's translated and davir is plague. Both pertain to any epidemic disease with a high death rate. They both refer to a pandemic occurrence of sickness that causes widespread death, often with the associative meaning of judgment from God. Now also... Both prophetic statements correspond to each other because if plague proceeds from the Lord's presence, then logically, pestilence marks the path which the Lord follows. In Habakkuk 3.5, this word for plague, devir, is personified. It's one of those figures that you have to pay attention when you study scripture. Personification. Uh, like so you hear the, the, the earth claps its hands, the trees. And the, and the, that's personification. You're personifying so here, this word plague is personified as an agent of destruction in the presence of the Lord as he advances against his enemies at his second advent. Now, like the noun, Devir, the noun, Rashef, pestilence is also personified as an agent of destruction in the presence of the Lord, but this time from the perspective of passing through his enemies. So pestilence is personified here as bringing up the rear the rear guard of the Lord's army. It's the aftermath of being confronted by the Lord's presence. Now, since the first prophetic statement asserts that plague will proceed from the Lord at his, his presence at his second advent, it's referring to the Lord exercising his righteous indignation by administering the seven-seal trumpet and bold judgments 
against the inhabitants of planet Earth during the 70th week of Daniel. So, uh, Jesus, right when we're in heaven and we get raptured, okay, we get the resurrection body. So, then the Lord is going to, uh, he's going to break the seven seal trumpet, uh, he's going to administer the seven seal trumpet and bold judgments. Now, there's a seven seal scroll in heaven that only Jesus can open. No angel or human being was worthy enough to open it, but Jesus was able to open it. So I want you to quickly, uh, we're running out of time here, so we have to go to the Lord's Supper. Go to Revelation chapter 6. No, 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 let's go to Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. We'll start there. Revelation 5, 1. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. So again, back to my point on the board before we read in Revelation. Since the first prophetic statement in Habakkuk 3, 5 asserts that the plague will proceed from the Lord, his presence at his second advent, it's referring to the Lord exercising his righteous indignation by administering the seven seal trumpet and bull judgments recorded in Revelation 6 to 18, those chapters, against the inhabitants of planet Earth during the 70th week of Daniel, and primarily during the last three and a half years of the 70th week, which we talked about earlier. On the other hand, since the second prophetic statement asserts that pestilence will follow at the Lord's feet at his second advent, it's referring to the aftermath of his second advent. In other words, the Lord's enemies will have experienced the Lord's righteous indignation, his wrath, after being confronted with his presence at his second advent. Pestilence will be the result of experiencing his righteous indignation in his presence. Thus, pestilence follows at his feet. So look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He's, this is the Father, is a picture of. He's sitting on the throne. And it's alluding to Daniel 7, 13 through 14. He's the ancient of days in Daniel 7. And the Father is. So then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and, se and sealed with seven seals. This is the title deed to planet Earth. Remember the fall of Adam and Eve. They will rule over the works of God's hands. Hebrews chapter 2 says, not everything is under our authority. Why? Satan deceived Eve in the garden and Adam went along with it knowingly and they fell, plunged the whole human race, you and I, into this world that we live in of sin and misery, okay, and disappointment and low fulfillment, okay? Christ becomes a human being, dies on the cross, rose from the dead, see the right hand of the Father. He became a human being to be the last Adam, Paul calls him. In 1 Corinthians 15, 22, Romans chapter 5. So he, and now the bride, we'll be, he's calling out from every nation, language group, ethnicity, Jew, Gentile, throughout the world at this time, from the day, since the day of Pentecost in June of 33 AD when the church began, all the way to the rapture when the church ends, he's calling out a people for a bride for his son, the father is. And whoever believes in Jesus Christ is placed in union with Christ and is now a member of the bride of Christ. We're going to reign over God's hand, over works of his hands during the millennial reign, and thus mankind will be restored to the position that it was intended for, not enslaved to sin and Satan. So, Jesus is the, is the one who is only one who is qualified or worthy to do this seal, break it open, which is the title deed to planet Earth. So then it says in verse 2, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy? This is important. Who is worthy 
Now, God's, God's perfect. He's looking for perfection. Okay? He demands perfection. Well, who can keep that? I can't. And neither can any angel, by the way. Watch. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And no one, but no one in heaven, that would mean the angels too, or on earth or under the earth, could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, descendant of David, King David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. He's able. He's got the power. He's worthy. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. This is apocalyptic language. Standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. It's apocalyptic literature of something that's going, on, that's going to go on in heaven and will be there. He has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the scroll, Jesus did, from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Again, compare this with Daniel 7, 13 and 14. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures representing the angels and the 24 elders representing the church fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. See, I said this at the beginning. You're going to sing in heaven. What are we going to do in heaven? You're not going to be sitting on the cloud with a margarita, okay, or in a hammock. No, you're going to be working, you're going to be serving, and it will not be a chore. You'll love it, and you'll be singing. If you love music, get ready. The best music is about to come, and it's not on earth. And I'm sorry, Taylor Swift fans, you Swifties, okay? No, no, it's better than Taylor Swift will ever be with the Beatles, okay? And they sang a new song. You were worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood... You purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000, and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne, the Father, and to the Lamb, Jesus. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worship. No chapter break in the original. Look at Revelation 6.1. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. And when the land opened the, seal, the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace on the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. There's the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? This is apocalyptic literature about... Wrath of God being poured up upon the earth during the tribulation period. When the land opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. And when the lamb opened the fourth seal, 
I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death. This will not be Clint Eastwood, okay? And Hades was fall pale rider. Pale Hades was falling close behind him, and they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill, a fourth of the earth, to kill by the sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? He's a God of justice. They want vengeance. We're not to take it out. Jesus will take care of it out. Leave room for the wrath of God. Don't take out your own revenge. Romans 12, right? Right. Okay? Now listen to me. He's pouring these, these, these seven seals, okay? They're, when the seven seal trumpet of bull judgments, we're going to be studying this in the Day of the Lord series, each one of these. And one trips the other. The seven seal uh, judgments, they trip the seven trumpet and bull judgments. You know, they, they trip each other, one after consecutively. And they're all mostly, pretty much all of them except for one, is pretty much going to be during the last three and a half years of the 70th week. Okay? We're not going to hear, be here for this no one's going to want to be here for this. But there's people right now in our world that don't really realize how close they are to this destruction. Because if the rapture happens today, they're in deep doo-doo, as we used to say in Massachusetts. <laughs> you like that one? We had another word we used, but we will not go there. You will kind of figure it out. That's why you were laughing. Look at verse 11. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been, complete, as been completed. And I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red, and the stars of the sky filled earth. This is all alluded to in Habakkuk 3, by the way. As late figs dropped from a fig tree, they were shaken to, by a strong wind, and the sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth, the princes and the generals, the rich and the mighty, and every slave and free man, hidden caves, and among the rocks of the mountains. And they, this is alluded to in Habakkuk as well. Call, they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? No one. Go back now to Habakkuk 3, 5, and we'll close. And go to the Lord's Supper. Habakkuk 3, 5 again. NIV says, Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. And uh, my translation of that verse again, Plague will proceed from his presence. Correspondingly, pestilence will follow at his feet. So, as we close our second session, Habakkuk 3.5 is not only prophetic, describing what the Lord will do to his enemies at his second advent, the same enemies he died on the cross for. Don't lose sight of that. He's given them every chance to get away from his wrath. Okay? Habakkuk 3.5 is not only prophetic, describing what the Lord will do to his enemies at his second advent. Again, the same enemies he died on the cross for. But it also echoes the ten plagues he inflicted upon Egypt to deliver the Israelites from the bondage to that nation. Correspondingly, people, the Lord Jesus Christ at his second advent will inflict plagues and pestilence upon his enemies in order to deliver Israel from her enemies just as he did when he inflicted the ten plagues on Egypt to deliver Israel from the bondage to Pharaoh. 
Now, I want to go to one more passage. You don't have to turn there. You could just look at this on the board. Zechariah. You can go with your own Bibles if you want. This is the last passage. We've got to go to the Lord's Supper. This is a great passage. Uh, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1. Day of the Lord is coming. When you, when you are plundered, Jerusalem will be divided among you. This is going to happen during the tribulation period. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will be not taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, the second advent of Christ, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two, from east to west forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. He says in verse 5, you will flee by my mountain during that time, my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Isaiah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, Jesus Christ, and all the holy ones with him. You and I in resurrection bodies, tribulational martyrs in resurrection bodies, Old Testament saints in resurrection bodies, and the elect angels. On that day, you know the saints, I want to be in that number. You can be in that number, trust in Jesus as your Savior. If you're a believer, you're already in, okay? You'll be marching in. And you want, you want to go home today after you have dinner? Practice that marching, okay? Because you're going to be doing it. And you'll be marching in with the Lord in that resurrection body and rewards of faithful service. And uh, it's going to be something else. On that day, there'll be no light, no cold or frost. It'll be a unique day for a unique person, Jesus Christ, the God-man. Without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord, when evening comes, there'll be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea, the Mediterranean, and summer and in winter. And the Lord will be king, millennial reign, over all the earth. No more of these rulers that don't keep their promises. Okay? No more of the corruption and government. No more dictators, no more plundering of nations, weaker nations by empires, no more beasts of nations like Babylon, Medo-Persia, Rome, Greece, no more of that stuff. The Lord's going to be king over the earth. On that day, there'll be one Lord and his name, the only name. He's going to be the only show in town. The whole land from Geba to Reman, south of Jerusalem, will become like the Arabah. But Jerusalem will be raised up because of the earthquake and remain in its place from the Benjamin Gate to the site of the first gate to the corner gate and from the Tower of Hananel to the royal wine presses. It will be inhabited. Never again it will be destroyed by foreign armies. Jerusalem will be secure. It's not now. It's not now. This is the plague the plague of Habakkuk 3, 5, right? In Revelation 6, this is the plague which, which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they're still standing on their feet. And their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. Uh, you know, when they blew off the nuclear bomb in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? The people just disintegrated. That's what's going to happen. The guy who created the Adam, the God who created the Adam, the God-man, He's coming, and he's going to do some Adam working here, okay? He's going to do some stuff that will blow your mind. He created everything. He knows, he's, he's the one 
who's given life and holds and, and, and hold, create, created the time out of space continuum with just the word and holds it in place just as we're speaking. You're not and I are not floating in a million pieces and gonzo. We're held together by the same power that's in you and I and saved us. On that day, men will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. Yeah, I bet. Each man will seize the hand of another and they will attack each other. Friendly fire. Judah too will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected. Great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. A similar plague will strike the horses and the mules and the camels and the donkeys and all the animals in those camps. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year, millennial reign, to worship, as we talked about earlier, the King, Jesus, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem, during that time, the millennial reign, to worship the king, the Lord Almighty will, have, will bring them no rain. So, this God, this God, this God man, Jesus Christ, this unique theanthropic person that we're in union with, that we're married to, that we're members of his body, is the same God that you and I are the beneficiaries of his power. That same person is going to rule this earth and is going to destroy his enemies and wipe all the corruption and the war and all the garbage that's in the world today that we can't stand that's destroying people's lives and making life miserable on the earth. All gone. Peace. No more war. The devil will be removed. And he's our God. And this is who we're now going to worship. The one who suffered the wrath of God on the cross and who was raised from the dead and see the right hand of the Father. The one who's going to come again to judge the living and the dead and rule this earth for a thousand years with us as his bride. This is now the one we're going to bring into remembrance now. So if the gentleman could pass out the communion elements and uh, we'll let them pass the communion elements out and then we'll let them sit down and be able to meditate. We'll have like a two-minute meditation once they sit down and then we'll observe the communion elements. And if you, I can, I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians 11.23 and that'll be the passage we'll be reading from. Thank you.
Thank you, gentlemen, for passing out the elements. We now come to uh, uh, a great uh, time uh, when we come to assemble together. A great now, a great moment is now about to take place. Where God has given us, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ established this time to bring into remembrance what he did for us at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And so the, the juice and the cracker represents who he is and what he did for us. Because what he did, who he is is very important because what he did for us is not going to, is not going to uh, make it with God if, if he wasn't who he was, the eternal son of God, the sinless eternal son of God. So the bread, as you have before you, it represents his impeccable human nature. He, was, uh, he didn't have the presence of the old sin nature like we all have in our bodies, which causes us to get old and decay, and it's the reason why we're uh, selfish and self-centered by nature and practice. Uh, he didn't have that because Mary is not impregnated by Joseph, but actually by the Holy Spirit. And so as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse, uh, verses 5 through 7, a body you have prepared for me. And so this body didn't have the presence of the sin nature. So he didn't have the principle of sin that's in us, which tempts us to sin every day. And also he's both God, he's God as well. So he's both God and a human being. He's undiminished deity and true sinless humanity in one person forever. He has the same attributes as the Father and the Spirit. And the only difference is, is that he became a human being. He has the same human attributes as you and I, the emotions and all that stuff. He has soul, everything. But yet he was without sin, and he's God. He's a member of the human race, but he's God. He's part of the head of the new creation that you and I entered into at the moment of our justification, our conversion. The juice speaks of the blood of Christ. And so when Jesus suffered the wrath of God on the cross, he was suffering a spiritual death. When he was abandoned by his heavenly father, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all the, the two scourgings that he went through and the crucifixion, hanging on the cross and dying physically, he was suffering the wrath of God. In other words, he was experiencing the wrath of God that every one of us would experience in the lake of fire forever. He experienced that so that we would experience that. Think about that. And we can't identify with that. Because we're not God and a sinless human being. So just think about how the Father and the Son valued their fellowship. Never at any time was that fellowship disrupted. And by the way, just because he was abandoned on the cross doesn't mean the Trinity was disrupted or the, the hypostatic union of our Lord. It was his fellowship. In the same way that you and I are still members of the body of Christ, have eternal security. But when we sin, we're out of fellowship. Now, he was out of fellowship with his father, not because of anything he did, but because of what we did. He had to suffer the consequences that, of our sins. That's love. He did it when we were his enemies. Romans 5, 6 through 8. And so, then he, so listen to me, by doing that, okay, suffering the wrath of God in our place, he redeemed us, the whole human race, out of the slave market of sin in which we were born physically alive and spiritually dead. He reconciled us sinners to a holy God. He took that because he's both God and man. He's the intermediary between God and simple human beings. He also, simultaneously, he's propitiated the Father's holiness, which demanded that sin and sinners be judged. So he, 
a father who is satisfied with what his son did and suffering the wrath of God on the cross. So their sins don't take a person to hell. It's their rejection of Jesus. Your sins are already paid for. In fact, Revelation 20, 11 through 15 talks about the great white throne judgment of every unbeliever. Never mentions the sins of anybody. Sin's not going to send you to the lake of fire. It's your rejection of Jesus. Salvation is a gift. You and I don't earn it or deserve it. That's what religion's all about. You've got to earn it or deserve it. I don't care if it's Islam or even people who call themselves Christians and they're in a works-based thing. No, none of us could do anything to get right with God. It was the merits, the object of our faith, Jesus, that has all the merit with God and that's all God cares about. He doesn't care about you, what you and I are going to do. We couldn't do anything to make ourselves right with him. He cares what his son did. It's a gift. Somebody knocks on your door. Oh, you get a Christmas gift. Do you have to pay for it? It's not a gift then, right? Well, salvation's the same way. It's not, it's not something you pay for or earn. It's a gift. That means we're all equal before the cross because we all get in because of who Jesus is. And that's why we worship him. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. It represents my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let us partake of the bread in remembrance of our Lord. Verse 25, Paul says in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's partake of the cup in remembrance of our Lord's death. Verse 26, Paul says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What does he mean by that? The rapture is imminent, and so we're proclaiming his death right now until he comes. And as I close with this, before we pray, what we did today in our worship service, hearing the word of God, and also what we did here now, observing the communion elements and remembrance of our Lord and his, who he is and what he did for us on the cross, that should put in us, that's the Holy Spirit was trying to pour out his love into our hearts right now through the scriptures, through the Spirit so that we can go and manifest the power of God in our daily lives as we go through our various trials and tribulations. It's like filling up the gas tank. We got a full tank, and let's roll, okay? Let's roll and let's show the world what we got and so we can share it with them in this great thing that we have called salvation through faith in Jesus. Heavenly Father, we just pray, Father, that this lesson and this observance of the communion elements would be a great blessing to your people. We thank you for everyone that is here today, all those who are here in the body of Christ. We just thank you for them, and we pray that uh, this would be a blessing to them, that the Spirit would convict them, uh, encourage them, exhort them to further righteousness, uh, rebuke if necessary, so that we can correct and train us in righteousness, so that we can bring glory to you by becoming like your Son and manifesting your great power and wisdom and your righteousness and your justice and your love as we obey the command to love one another and love our neighbor as ourselves.
which manifests the fact that we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Again, I thank you for everyone in the chapel and those who might be listening in the podcast that the, the Spirit would do a mighty work through them. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to sing a song to close out the lesson. Thank you for being here. And I will warn you, this is a rocker. It's not a ballad. So I'm in a rocking mood today. Because it's good to be back. Because I was, you know, I was telling uh, John, who's up to visit, and uh, <laughs> I was like going, yesterday I was like, I feel like I'm, I did something in the morning, but I feel like I'm playing hooky. I was like, I just like, I'm not in my routine, and I'm a big routine guy. And uh, if I'm not doing something, like I feel, geez, I feel, I'm not like I should be doing what I should be doing. But it's good to take a break and get to, get recharged. And you, when you come back, you feel you're more, even more appreciative. Appreciative of everybody and the thing that God has given you. Okay.